upset alert in November? Why does it feel like March? These are some of the questions that women's basketball fans have been asking during the first month of the women's college basketball season. And I have the one and only Doug Feinberg here for a special episode of the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast to take us inside what's been happening within the AP poll and why. The Locked On Women's Basketball podcast, it starts right now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and welcome and happy Friday. You are locked on to women's basketball. Happy belated Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. I'm Jackie Powell and I am one of your hosts on this program. I cover the New York Liberty at The Next. I help with The Next social media strategy. And I've covered women's basketball nationally at many other places. We want to thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by everyone at The Next. TheNextHoops.com, a place where we cover women's basketball all the time. We tell the stories that need to be told every day. Support our staff at The Next that works oh so hard to bring you this coverage that matters a lot. It's $9 a month or $72 per year. Also, right here on the podcast, we have been breaking records. We continue to grow each month in our listens, and that is all thanks to you, dear listener. Remember that Locked on Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Today's episode is brought to you all by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. So the last time we were together, dear listener, I had Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report on for a special two-parter, and we talked about how at the 11th hour, the WNBA deferred Portland, um, a WNBA expansion team, And boy, was that an episode. But today we are changing gears and Doug and I are going to talk about the big picture story in women's basketball right now. And that's the volatility that we've seen in the AP poll to begin the season. So in segment one, we're going to state the obvious and how unprecedented this all is. In segment two, I'm going to get Doug to go into the history of the AP poll and talk about what it's been like for all of these changes. Um, He's been running this poll for a while. And then in segment three, we're going to get into the why and the how. Why, Why is women's college basketball having this moment right now where people feel like it's March? So anyway, Doug, thank you so much for being here. Let's just start with 
what exactly has happened with the AP poll to start the women's college basketball season? Well, Jackie, thanks for having me and, and belated happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, I think it's just been, it's been exciting. I mean, the, the first couple of weeks of the regular season, you've seen upsets galore with teams that uh, beat each other that were not expected coming into the year. So that, that you're right. I mean, it's sort of been March and November with all these March madness or November madness or whatever you want to come up with to call it, but it's been, it's been fun. I mean, it's, this is what people like. People like sports because you don't know how things are going to end. If you want to go, if you want to know how things go to end, go to a movie, go to a play, watch a TV show. Cause you kind of know how the ending's going to happen. The, the good guys always tend to win for the most part. Um, but sports, you, it's unpredictable. And that's kind of what we've seen for the first two weeks or three weeks of the season so far. Right. I mean, so when we talk about what's been a bit unprecedented, Maryland made headlines for maybe the wrong reasons. UCLA is the, they got the highest ranking they've had in program history. And I think, what is it? Eight of the preseason top 10 teams have lost once already this season. So I guess with all of the other things, I mean, also Colorado is ranked in the top three for the first time in over 25 years. What do you think has been most surprising for you when it comes to all of these factoids that not only you have reported at the Associated Press, but we've also seen across the timeline compiling these things as well? Um, I think it's exciting. I think if you have to start with sort of the preseason poll, when people vote, it's a combination of what they saw last year and what they're expecting this year. And I think that um, Coach Yo from Ole Miss made a good point that with the transfer portal, it's a little more unpredictable than it was in the past because there's so many players changing teams and there's so much um, uncertainty that it made for some some unexpected results from what the poll had. And remember, a poll is just a, a talking point. I mean – you don't get crowned national champion because you're number one in the poll um, in the preseason or at the end of the year. But I think it's, it's, it's nice to see. I mean, sure. There are teams that lost that you weren't expecting to lose. I mean, that didn't have transfers per se. I mean, UConn losing to NC state. Well, you wouldn't have thought that would happen, but NC state's not a bad team. They're putting some pieces together. They won at home, huge crowd. UConn was sort of still trying to figure itself out a little bit with page backers coming back. So that's one upset that, you wouldn't have thought coming into the season, but really a, a great win by NC State. And same thing with Colorado. I mean, they, they knocked off LSU in a neutral site game in Las Vegas. Colorado had everyone back for the most part from its run last year. LSU, a great team coming in, was adding two new pieces in Haley Van Lith and Issa Morrow. And it takes some time to sort of figure everything out. So veteran team that is all sort of returning versus team that's adding some new pieces and, and – not exactly the same as last year's national championship run. So that upset happened. So that's where it is like preseason top 10, people weren't sure where to put teams or they, exactly where they would land. And that's why you've had some, I think, major movement in the poll and, and upsets, so to speak, in college hoops the first uh, two weeks of the season. It's really interesting, obviously, mentioning LSU just because I and 
we had uh, Missy Heydrich and Gabriella Lewis talk all about what's been going on with LSU. They chatted on Monday about this. But with LSU, I keep thinking about, or I keep making the comparison to super teams in the WNBA, and particularly the Liberty. And I know I come at that from a place because I've covered the team and I've covered the team for a long time. And it's interesting to me that there haven't been enough of those discussions, sort of comparing those two. I understand it can be a bit of apples and oranges when you have younger kids that aren't pros yet, but the concept of, of bringing together stars and the fact that they're not going to be good immediately, I, I think that that bears some validity in this situation and maybe contributes to some of the drama that we've seen and, and, you know, they're dropping in the pole so quickly, if that makes sense. It, it does. I mean, part of winning any NCAA championship for the most part, you know, a little bit of luck. I mean, there's teams that have been really, really good that have run through and, and won. LSU was a couple of free throws away by Utah from not winning last year in the earlier rounds and not being national champions and not being defending champions. So it, it's not like they were this team that no one could beat going in last year, and then you add players that, again, it takes a little bit of time to sort of gel a group. You Getting a transfer is great because you have a veteran player who's been through the system. They understand what it takes to play college basketball. Usually in this group, uh, Van Listen, her fourth year, I believe, and you have Morrow's played a couple years at DePaul. So they've been through the wars, so to speak, of a college basketball season, the grind of it. But you still have to gel them with players that – they're not used to playing with an assistant. They're not used to. And listen, you, you guys did a great job talking about the, the LSU situation on Monday. So I don't want to bring up all of that, but there's more pieces to putting groups together. There's only one basketball and you have to make sure everyone's happy with that role. They're playing with the one basketball. So it, it just takes time for teams to get together. And, and your analogy is not wrong. I mean, it took New York some time to sort of figure out who uh, should be where, who's taking what shots when, and, it took them a while, but they figured it out and they made a good run and, and lost to a really good team in Las Vegas in the finals. So it's sort of the same thing. I mean, the LSU team we see now in November, I think is very different than the one we see in February and March when the games matter a little more and when they try to make a run to defend their championship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we won't get into the how the, the culture, the, the locker room, issues in LSU and how those are a bit different than what we see in the WNBA. That's a whole other conversation. But I think the one thing I want to ask you before we move on to segment two, where we're going to talk about the history of this poll is I guess what stands out to me about this is just how the PAC 12 is sort of making this interesting statement in its final year of existence I mean, <laughs> there was a point where the Pac-12 was undefeated. So I guess from your standpoint, when it comes to the Pac-12, do you think there's some sort of coincidence here with it being its last season of existence? Or why do you think there's so many good Pac-12 teams this year? Well, I'm getting older, so I forget some things, but I think – the last year the Big East was in existence, the original Big East, the old Big East, they had a run of teams that were really good that I believe made the Final Four, and it was an exciting time for the Big East before it disbanded and re-emerged. And, re 
and the Pac-12 in a sort of similar way. They're really good teams out there. I mean, Stanford, UCLA, Colorado, USC, Juju Watkins, one of the most exciting freshmen in the country right now, has energized that program. And Coach Gottlieb's done a tremendous job there so far this season. Utah coming in had a bunch of really good players coming back, led by Alyssa Pilly. So, I mean, that's a, there's a lot of talent there. And I also think there's probably a chip on the shoulder of the women's basketball coaches. I mean, it's, they didn't decide to break up the conference. They didn't, they're not the ones that said, hey, you know, we should start going to the ACC or the Big 12 or the Big 10. It's football driven. So let's be honest. They, they probably want to like, hey, you know what? We've had a great run here the last probably decade of having a bunch of teams that are really good. And we're going to go out and show that this conference, even though we're, we're not going to be the same next year, was one really, really good basketball conference for women's basketball. They are definitely proving that. They are. I mean, Colorado, maybe I've been living under a rock, but the Colorado story has been absolutely fascinating. Anyway, um, before we chat about the the history of the AP poll and sort of why it exists, which we sort of started talking about, I do want to briefly chat about our show sponsor, Game time. And so, listeners, you probably know that I am a huge Lady Gaga fan. I'm a huge stan. Um, But I love other musicians as well. I'm a pop music head. Um, A lot of folks in the women's basketball space, they know this. They see me with concert shirts on all the time. Um, But anyway, I was actually trying to see if I could go see Ellie Golding last minute this past week in Brooklyn. She was playing with a live orchestra, but unfortunately I couldn't get a ticket. And it it was strange because there were discounted tickets for one of the shows, but there were two shows. I was very confused and quite disappointed. But you shouldn't have to worry about a situation like that. Um, And game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee, GameTime takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Browse through the GameTime app and talk about upcoming events in your area, like concerts, women's college basketball games, NBA games, and WNBA games when they do return this coming May in 2024. What's brilliant about the Game Time app is that it has last minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals. It's really easy to find and buy tickets for any kind of event in your area. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy. So you know, is my seat obstructed? Is it not? You will know. Um, so you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. Buy tickets in seconds with two taps. So next time Ellie Golding is in town, I'll take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
Well, thank you, Game Time. And yes, that Ellie Golding experience was very disappointing. She has an incredible voice, and with a live orchestra, I'm sure it would have been an even better show. But anyway, we are back, and I want to remind y'all, before we get into segment two, that Locked On Sports, or Locked On rather, has launched the first ever national 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. And Locked On Sports today is here for your 24-7 covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts on Locked On, plus our national shows that cover pretty much every league. So go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right. So in this segment, we're going to get into the history of the AP poll and also how it's been for you, Doug, because off air, I asked you how many years you've been doing this. And you said you've been running this poll since 2007. Is that what you? Yeah. 2007. So I guess take me through the, the history of the AP women's college basketball poll, why it exists, why it matters. And, you know, when you got this role, what was sort of going on? Well, let me say one thing first, Jack, because I, I felt bad. I didn't answer your question about UCLA being number two before. So let me just do a quick thing saying that they're a really good team. I mean, Coach Close has built a group there with Charisma Osborne and Kiki Rice in the backcourt and adding Lauren Betts, the transfer from Stanford, that they're number two for a reason. They're, they're a really good team. And we'll see um, later today when they play UConn, how that game goes as far as against another really good opponent, but they're number two for the first time ever going back to the history of the poll, which just shows that it's a great year for them so far. And there've been a lot of really good teams out there that they haven't been able, when they were really good in the past to reach the heights of number two, or even number one, a spot they haven't reached yet, which could happen down the road this year. Um, But as you said, I've been doing the poll since 2007 um, Mel Greenberg, the, the 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 guru of women's basketball, started the poll in 1976, I believe, 76, 77 season. It was just a coach's poll back then. This is pre-internet, obviously. So he would call coaches up to give them scores of things they may miss, and they'd vote. And then it was a coach's poll until 1994-95 when the AP took it over. Um, and then the great Chuck Schaffner, who preceded me as the women's basketball writer based out of Iowa, um, ran it till like 2005, 2006, um, and he did a tremendous job, retired. I took it over, um, and I've been running it for the last, I guess, 17 years now, 16 years. Um, and it, it's great. I mean, the, the, the let me throw out, I always say it, I, I have never voted in the AP poll. So people who always get upset with the AP where their team is ranked and can, are happy to voice their opinions to me, I listen to it. But I honestly have no power over who is ranked where because I have cast zero votes for the AP women's basketball poll in, in my time uh, running it. So I compile it. I find the voters. But, Jackie, I've never actually voted in the poll. So you can tell me you I, that you think someone should be higher, and I may agree with you, but there's really nothing I can do about it because I don't actually have a vote. 
That is a very good point. I mean, there is a difference between being involved in the process and and voting. Um, And that's also why I wanted to have you on, because there is, I think I wanted listeners to be able to understand sort of what this typically looks like. Because then in segment three, we're going to, I guess, talk about maybe a little bit more about why this is happening. But I want listeners to understand what it's like to be organizing this thing, Um, even, you know, in a more typical circumstance. And then we'll talk about, I mean, what has this been looking like in these first couple of weeks when things have been happening that we've never really seen before? So... Basically, in, in September, I sent out a note to all the voters from the year before and said, hey, are you interested in voting again this year? And to vote in the AP poll, your newspaper, TV station, Internet site has to be an AP member, meaning that they get the AP service at some level. Um, so that knocks out a lot of people that would be really good voters, but don't qualify for that because their company doesn't have uh, AP or not AP members, what they're called. Um, so I get the list and they say, hey, I'd love to do it or I can't do it. Um, so I'll have a bunch coming back. Um, this year we actually have 36 voters, which doesn't seem like that many. But when I first started, there was 50 and we cut down to 29 last year. So we dropped nearly in half over the last 16 years. And now we actually added some people to get back up to 36, which is a better number to me than 29. Um, so it's, it's also word of mouth. I mean, I may... I have friends all around the country who cover women's basketball and may say to me, hey, you might reach out to so-and-so because they're, they follow the sport, their, their paper, their, their website, whoever may cover it. Let me see if they're AP members, and I add voters that way. So that's how we sort of get the poll board, the, the voting panel. Um, the nice thing is we actually have a website that they created a couple of years ago, so, so voters can just input their vote each Sunday night. I send out a week's fair to – case there's a game they missed because there's obviously a lot of games each week they can sort of catch up that way also show them sort of the next five so that the teams that might get in or may not get in the poll um and that fared and then they can vote um the poll closes usually at 10 o'clock on monday morning this year the the women's poll comes out first at noon eastern time and the men's poll comes out after one they flopped it this year which i think is pretty cool and we uh they vote and then we have the, the computer system that tabulates everything, which makes my life easier. I'm not sitting there with a piece of paper going, okay, first place, second place, third place, because my math's good, but that just leads to mistakes. Um, and then the computer system spits it out. And what's great also is that if you're a fan, you can go to the AP College Basketball Hub and see, okay, who did Jackie vote for this week if you were a voter? Who did Doug vote for if I was a voter? Which, as I said, I'm not. But that way you can see who people voted for and it's pretty cool. We're, we're going to try to add some new things in the, in the future. One of the great Twitter followers I have always says, why can't you put in uh, sort of a denotation of who's new to the poll, which is a great mm-hmm. idea. It's just a matter of technology that takes a little bit of time. And that's above my computer technology skills. We have people who are working on it. So we may have some new innovations next year. But that's sort of a, a, a typical week of how things happen. I usually have to chase down maybe one or two votes Monday morning. But the poll board's really good of getting in their balance on time, which makes my life that much easier. So what was fascinating about what you just said was, well, many things were, but what jumped out to me was this decrease. And so in the amount of voters, and, and the reason I bring that up is when we're talking about 
women's college basketball and women's basketball in general, even when we talk about the WNBA, we're looking at things on more of a, a growth curve. And so to hear that the numbers of the amount of people involved have gone down, what do you think the reason for that is? Um, I think, I mean, listen, Chuck Schaffner, as I said, who did it before me, did a tremendous job of finding voters throughout the country. And I think newspapers have gone down, or I know newspapers have gone down in the last 15 years. So that cut out a lot of voters. Internet sites have popped up, obviously, but not all of them are AP members. So that makes life more difficult. There's been, as you said, and, and you, you're a great example of this, of more people covering women's basketball in the last decade. Um, but we're not there yet with, unfortunately, them having full-time jobs at spots that are AP members. So I think that's why we've seen the decrease. But again, we went up seven voters this past year. There's a couple more that I would have actually added, but it was past the deadline of the first two polls. And I can't, I don't think it's right to add somebody in the middle of the year, so to speak, as a new voter. I can replace somebody if someone, unfortunately, which I've had, retires or, or gets laid off. I'll, I'll try to keep the number the same. But to add people now, I think just would skew things a little bit. So that, that's a long-winded answer. But I think just the, the demise of the newspaper business in local markets has is, is contributed to why the numbers, unfortunately, dropped from the 50 down to the, the 29 last year. Yep. The sad truth there. Um, and I think it's important to, to distinguish that, um, to distinguish why that is and why the work that we both do and that this podcast does and it, it all matters because of these uh, these forces that are trying to clamp down on it. But anyway, so you sort of laid out the, the typical way that this works each week. And so with the chaos, how has that been? And how has that been different when it comes to, I guess, comparing it to, oh, yeah, you know, the top five is still sort of the same and just less change, if that makes sense. So I actually, I, I like order in my life, but I don't mind chaos in the poll, if that makes sense. Because if the, the, the I've been doing this again for 16, 17 years. In that time, UConn had its dominant run of the 111 straight wins and then another run after that. And South Carolina had 38 streaks, 38 straight weeks at number one that ended the preseason poll this year. Now they're obviously back there again. It's more exciting when there's stuff to write about. If it's the same team at number one every week and the top five doesn't change much, it makes for more of a, a boring story, if that makes any sense. I mean, obviously we write so we can make stories more interesting. But if it's the same team number one for 51 straight weeks or whatever it was for UConn's run, you can try to find stuff. But there may not be that really great nugget of a team jumping in the poll for the first time, which I've had many times, or a, you say moving up to number two or things that haven't happened before. So that's why I like chaos because it makes it more exciting. People pay more attention. There's more buzz and interest when there's movement. I mean, it just it's natural that way. So when you think your team has a chance to make a giant move, it makes you more interested. If you know that the same team is always going to be number one, two, three, four, it's probably not as exciting as it could be when there is chaos. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating because you bring up UConn and I was actually talking to a college student a couple of days ago. And one of his questions for me was how did 
women's basketball really begin in the mainstream? And I was like, well, that goes back to the Yukon and Tennessee days. And people, all the detractors and haters made those arguments like, oh, you know, dominance. Is it really good for the sport? Are we supposed to pay attention to this if it's the same thing happening over and over again? And then, of course, you make the argument, well, dynasties are really good for sports and really good for for coverage. But it's just, it's interesting that we're sort of, we're seeing it swing the other way. And I think that represents, obviously, the evolution of the sport. We talk about that all the time. But I'm also curious about what it's been like. Have you been communicating with the poll board or or voters when some of these upsets happen? Like, has anyone, has there been an example where someone has some difficulty and is like, well, I don't really know where they're going to go here. Um, You know, every week when I send out the fair and I send a little note up top saying like the first week this year is like, well, welcome to college basketball this year. It's chaos week already. We've only played five days of games or six days of games. So the, the from that standpoint, I mean, I know in a week that when we saw seven top 10 teams lose or eight of the top 14, it's going to be chaos. And um, I, I've had conversations with voters. I don't want to obviously name names here, but th- there are people who go, wow, this is a crazy week. And what would you do? And I was like, listen, trust where you think teams go. And I think early season's easier in a sense because there isn't a resume. And we saw, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in a little bit, but the jump of Colorado, they went up 15 spots when they beat LSU. Well, that can happen in the first two weeks because there isn't a resume where you go, they've already played 20 games or 15 games, so they're 13-2. and two. Well, what does one win really focus on out of the 16th game they played when they had a record or resume already versus – they played one game and they beat a team that was number one. Well, we probably had them underseeded, so we should probably move them up in the rankings a bit. And that's why you saw some crazy jumps of Colorado, uh, Kansas State jumping in the poll this week after their win over Iowa. Um, you had the win of NC State beating UConn, jump them in the poll. So early on, there's sort of like that isn't a resume for teams, so to speak. So that's why you see some early jumping around and more chaos. I think once the poll happens, and it, it works both ways. I mean, People have complained, well, why did Team X beat Team Y, yet they're still bumped, they're seated below them or they're ranked below them? Well, in February and January, they've already played a bunch of games. So is it one game you're looking at or are you looking at the whole resume for the season? And, and I see both sides of it. Again, it, if I ranked it, I might have my own – I would have my own opinion on it, but I, I trust people. And I've, I've said this over the time to people, like, listen – you have a team ranked here that lost two games this week and like, Oh my God, I missed that. They lost that, that second game, or maybe this team, like you might want to put them a little bit higher. Just, did you know they beat team X and team Y? Oh yeah. I, I missed that. So that, that's how it may have a little bit of influence on teams, but I'll never say, Hey, you should rank this team fifth. You should rank that team eighth. You should rank that team 25th. That team shouldn't be in the poll. So I'll offer some, general guidance, but I, I wouldn't try to sway a voter's opinion of where the team should be ranked at, at all in the poll. It's, the, it's their thought. And they, they ask for some, some, some help sometimes that way, but it's never, it's never a, uh, what do you think? How would you vote them? Uh, so just do what you think is right. And it's your opinion. So that that's the thing. No one can argue. You can argue the opinion, but it's your opinion. And in your mind, it's the right opinion. So. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, 
is quite fascinating. I mean, it's there there isn't something like this in the WNBA. There there are many people who do power rankings, but it doesn't have as much of a significance as this. I think the closest thing is when we talk about season ending awards and there's so much chatter and so much debate and who was the person who put Asia Wilson in fourth place? I mean, (laughs) that's the parallel I see there. But okay, so coming up, we're going to talk about the big why, why this is all happening. And and also I want to discuss quickly this word that people tend to use when talking about women's basketball right now, and that's parity. And I sort of want to challenge that a little bit as it relates to what we've been seeing with the poll. But first, I want to remind y'all about our wonderful sponsor, FanDuel. And so I have to be honest I have not really watched football closely since I want to say 2017. Um, So apparently a quarterback who has the same last name as a very famous actor is playing quite well for my New York Giants. It's quite interesting. Will he throw another three touchdown game? We will have to see. But you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So yes, that is true. I have not really paid close attention to the NFL in many years. I mean, my New York Giants haven't been great. Although I will say Brian Doble is an alumnus of my alma mater, the University of Rochester. So there's a little bit of rooting interest. But anyway, I digress. We are back and we are going to continue our discussion about the volatility in the AP poll for women's college basketball. I'm here with the one and only Doug Feinberg. So let's get to the big why. Um, You alluded to this in segment one. You sort of talked about the transfer portal playing a role. But in addition to that, why do you think this is happening? Why are we why is the word unprecedented coming up oh so much when we talk about the poll, who's winning, who's losing and all of these different shifts? Well, Jackie, I think besides the transfer portal, more players are going to different schools. So there's more talent spread out across the country, which I think makes a difference of if every top player goes to one of five schools, those five schools can be really good, and then everyone else is trying to play catch-up. But if the talent goes more places, and, and actually I think a lot of talent stayed at home, the freshmen, the past couple of years. I don't know if it's COVID-related or not or, or whatever the reason, but they're staying home, and I think that makes a difference in the sense of a really good player stays home to a school that may make the school better if that's the best player instead of them being 
going abroad to another school or abroad, not the right word, but to another state to a, a school that wasn't local to them. So I, I think that that factors in it. And I think just coaching's better. There's more interest in the sport. I, I just think it's an exciting time for women's basketball where if you said last year, who's going to be playing for a national championship? I don't think many people would have picked LSU and Iowa to start the season. I mean, obviously Iowa's Caitlin Clark was a, one of the best players in, in women's college basketball history right now, but I'm not sure you would have thought they're going to be up for a national championship. And same thing with LSU. I don't think you thought they'd be there so quickly. So there's parities in to me is when a team, there's more teams that could win something. And also when teams that may not be as highly ranked or ranked at all, or even considering the rankings are beating teams that you wouldn't expect them to beat. That to me is more parity. I mean, NC State knocking off UConn. That NC State's been a great program for the last decade. I mean, they were really highly ranked. Um, Coach Westmore's done a great job there. To me, that's not really parity because they're a, a great school that's done really well. Um, if a team that was not as highly expected out of, I mean, St. John's beat UConn last year. UConn was banged up, and it wasn't the UConn that we expect normally, but that's a team you probably, if they played a bunch of times, UConn probably wins more than St. John's does by a lot. That to me is more of a parity thing than an NC State or a Colorado knocking off LSU this year. Yeah, you know, I think the the phrase that comes to my mind when talking about this notion of parity is I think of more maybe competitive balance. Um, and I think that term describes exactly what you were saying, which is players are more spread out throughout the country. So the talent is more... Um, it's less saturated in, in certain locations, but talent being spread out, that doesn't necessarily mean equality, you know, equal talent in, in every conference or every um, across every team. It, it just doesn't work like that. So I think, I don't know. I, when people say parity, I'm going to say, well, maybe more competitive balance. That's sort of how, I'm going to refer to that. And I guess something I also want to know from you is, are there common threads that you've noticed between the teams that have lost? I mean, the big ones, we've talked about LSU, talked about UConn. I mean, there's Iowa, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Utah. Um, Those are teams that people didn't think would have one loss by now. Um, I'd have to think there's a common thread between them besides just, as you said, competitive balance, um, that there are teams that beat USC beat Ohio state. USC had, a, I was said, Juju Watkins, who was a really talented freshman that there probably wasn't film on from college yet. And that makes a difference. And Ohio state is a really good team. They're working their own transfers in there. So they're, they're in that category. NC state, we talked about beating UConn. That that's just a really good program that, that, People thought we're having a down year, but they're still obviously great. And Sanaya Richards, uh, Rivers was really good that game. Uh, Richards, I don't know why I said that, but um, she she was great. And, and great players can carry teams to, to victories. So is there a common thread? I mean, Ioka Lee, who was the, the AP National Player of the Week this week, we started a new thing of AP National Players of the Week each week, um, which actually I do vote on. I, I, that's something I actually do vote on. So we have an AP panel that does it. There's about eight of us. We choose a player of the week. Caitlin Clark was the first one after their great winner of Virginia tech when she dropped 44 and then triple double the second game. Uh, Aoka Lee with the win the other day 
beating Iowa. And that's a that's a potential lottery pick in the WNBA in the normal year draft, who's Iowa's Achilles heel. They don't have uh, Cezano in the post anymore. So a, a good post player caused trouble, and, and Clark had an off day shooting-wise. So things can happen. I mean, this is, again, a power five beating a power five. So I wouldn't say that these upsets that we've seen in the poll so far have been teams that no one thought could be decent this year that are winning games. Your competitive balance, I think, comes into play there more than a team that if LSU had lost one of its games to Southeast Louisiana or to one of these schools that you would not expect that are making their guarantee money that you see in football all the time, that teams are getting paid to play each other, and men's side, there's more money there as well. That, to me, would be more of like, huh, that's kind of a little strange that those teams do that. I mean, Davidson went down and beat Duke at Duke. Duke is a decent team, as we saw when they played Stanford to overtime. Davidson's a really good team also. They played North Carolina tough. That That's a competitive balance thing with a, a team that people may not know about, but they're not bad. Princeton almost beat UCLA. Princeton made a nice run in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. So those are games that you think, wow, that would be really interesting if they had pulled off those wins. But – we're just we're getting closer. We're just not 100 percent there yet. Where like there's a common thread of why LSU, UConn, Iowa, um, Utah, all those teams lost. I don't think there's a common thread yet, but just showing more of the competitive balance you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I also think that there's there's like a stigma associated with when you lose one game, and it's not necessarily the most meaningful. I mean, you know. There were times during the UConn Brianna Stewart years where UConn had won. I mean, I don't remember how many games it was in a row, but this whole notion of being undefeated and not having a loss. I mean, it it meant so much when there was less competitive balance. And so the question I think about now is, does it really matter? Does it really matter that, you know, okay, Iowa isn't undefeated anymore. Like, I don't think that really tells you if a team is going to be really good or if a team is going to make a deep tournament run. But that's just me. No, I think you're right. Because if you're a coach, you'd rather lose a game in November and December when you're playing a good team to sort of expose yourself, what you need to work on for conference play. And then – in conference play, everyone knows you, knows you well. So to run through your conference undefeated is not easy by any stretch, no matter how good your team is. So you're getting ready for that. And then conference play gets you ready for the NCAA tournament, where you like you just got to win six games in, in three weeks to become national champion. So it's sort of building on each other. And you're right. Well, we were spoiled with what UConn did. It, it, that's not the norm. The teams don't win 111 straight games. It just doesn't happen. And before that, when they won their streak before – when Stanford ended it. So like, it's one of those things where over the time I've done the poll, there've been so many of those moments where just mind boggling what's been accomplished that now we're sort of getting back to normal sports, which is sort of where I started with that people like watching sports because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the ending for the most part and something crazy can happen. And that's what makes sports exciting. And that's why fans are passionate about their teams because you just don't know. And that's what I think we're seeing now in women's basketball more is that there are teams that can on any given night beat another team. And that's what makes it fun and exciting. Yes, absolutely. And so on that note, I want to thank everyone 
uh, for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. This was so much fun. I want to give a huge thank you to Doug for hopping on the show today. Follow him at Doug Feinberg on all of the interwebs. I use the term interwebs because I think X is, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and read his work uh, on APnews.com. Is there another place besides that? Or that's the... That's the main one. Mm-hmm. And also, Locked On has launched its first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts on Locked On, plus the national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Yes, that is very exciting. Anyway... To all of our listeners, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your Thanksgiving weekend. This is Jackie Powell and Doug Feinberg. And we are signing off. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.